Now, broadcasting on Star Worldwide Networks, it's time for the Fashion Rewired Broadcast with Brian Hill. During the Fashion Rewired Podcast, we chat with successful fashion designers and business entrepreneurs who share their powerful stories of success while providing real-time industry tips, tools, and actionable strategies to execute today with the goal of designing our listeners' brands for success. Now, here's your host, Brian Hill. Welcome to Fashion Rewired. I'm your host, Brian Hill, self-taught designer and executive director of Phoenix Fashion Week. So why is it important to rewire? Well, I believe that every successful fashion designer and entrepreneur at one time or another made the smart and necessary decision to rewire their brain, their attitude, but most importantly, their actions to get them to their current level of success. Each week, I get to share stories of transformation with our listeners while giving you the blueprint to rewire. I love to open each episode by thanking the sponsors that believe in Fashion Rewired. The Phoenix Fashion Week Freelance Program. While building Phoenix Fashion Week into an effective fashion industry resource, we have been asked time and time again to recommend the services of our teammates and associates. So the natural next step has been to organize a system and network of fashion professionals that we could vouch for in the marketplace. The Phoenix Fashion Week Freelance Program is open to anyone needing fashion design, hairstyling, sales representation, photography, graphic design, web design, marketing, social media, styling, makeup artists, accessory design, videography, modeling, PR, event planning, and consulting. For more information, please email freelance at phoenixfashionweek.com. My next guest hails from Hollywood, California. Actor and writer Marlon Young spent eight years in the U.S. Army as a helicopter fighter pilot and the next 30 years as a popular character actor in both TV and film, including over 200 commercials. Marlon has worked with the best of the best in Hollywood, including Steven Spielberg, Tom Cruise, Kevin Hart, LeBron James, and also Mark Wahlberg on the highly successful HBO series Entourage, where Marlon first came on my radar. Recently, Marlon co-produced a documentary on women in the military titled Served Like a Girl, and currently he co-wrote and is producing a feature film on the birth of jazz music. Man, oh man, Marlon, when do you have time to live, bro? (laughs) When I sleep. (laughs) I live when I'm sleeping. That is just a, uh, a great resume, and I just hit on just a few points in your life. It sounded great. Thanks for that intro. That, I, I couldn't have done that better myself. <laughs> right on, right on. We have so much yeah. to dig in. Um, you know, we yeah. met years ago at a happen chance, right, at a um, fundraiser in Hollywood, and it was yeah, just amazing. Yeah. Just chatted about, what are you doing here? I'm in fashion. What are you doing here? I'm an actor, writer. Uh, what do we have in common? Fashion. My girlfriend my wife. and my wife now <laughs> is the fashion maven, Kim Gold, co-founder of True Religious Jeans. I was like, okay, yeah. this conversation is going good. And I said to you, you right, also right. are Rufus from Entourage. <laughs> right, right. It was like a whole bunch of stuff coming at you at one time, wasn't it? Right. It was, it was cool, man. But, you know, that shows how you have like uh, this integrity of, of caring and listening to other people. Because if you wouldn't have listened to what I was really about, you never would have put two and two together that this would be a match made in heaven uh, for me to become friends with you and Kim, you know? And uh, I remember that uh, like it was yesterday. Well, I, I, I appreciate it. Like I, I, um, I was going to I start to say I pride myself on it. I don't so much I pride myself on it. It's just been a part of my um, natural progression as a human mm-hmm. in that everyone has a, so 
the, the cliche is everyone has a story, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they do. Uh, the, the, the problem is most people don't listen to other people's stories. So I've got my own, uh, and I know mine. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing for me is, what's this person I'm meeting's story? Right. And, and that's what's, I mean, I, I think that's how you grow, and that's how you learn. I, I, I think uh, in totality, this is my own belief system, is our purpose here, regardless of, regardless of you know, what your you know, religious or, or um, spiritual misgivings are, is to learn as much as we can and pass it on to the next person, mm-hmm. younger person or, you know, person that you don't know or a person just came in contact with. And, uh, and, and that's how we become, you know, uh, the best, most fruitful versions of ourselves. So I'm always open to listen and actually actively listen to other people, you know, actively uh, listening. And, and so I can make, yeah. So I can make, you know, I can make this happen. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's a part and parcel to when people say, you know, the, the, the most important part of a relationship is communication. And uh, I amend that to say it's not just communication because, you know, go to hell. That's communication. <laughs> but uh, it's effective communication, mm-hmm. right? Just listen to what the other person's needs are. And if you can, if, if you, can you know, uh, maximize your own efforts, the only way you can do that is to actually listen to this other person, you know? Right. And that's why I think I remember um, that happen chance meeting so clearly because that's exactly how you made me feel and uh, it was amazing. And it's been just a great relationship. It was great to see you over pandemic this past October. Popped over to Hollywood, yeah. uh, popped a bottle of champagne, and just uh, celebrated. Just We're still standing, you know? That was great. Yeah, great, great to great. do. Um, yeah. yeah, I loved it. Tell me about a fashion fact of Marlon Young <laughs> that nobody would know. Uh, I don't dress myself. <laughs> I, when I, when I first, uh, I had this thing for cowboy boots when I was younger, when I, um, first, when I got into flight school, uh, it was in Alabama and for some reason I gravitated to jeans, uh, cowboy boots and a Panama and a Panama straw hat. Mm-hmm. And I wore, wore that forever. That was my get up forever with jeans and some funky shirt and boots. And then I graduated to a, sort of a Steve Jobs look, which was just white sneakers, jeans, and a black, black T-shirt. So, and uh, and I, I wore that for years. And then I met, so you know, years, you know, just wearing it and you know, working and meeting people, and then married and I divorced, same same gear, and then single, and then, you know, a hundred years later, I, I meet I meet Kim, <laughs> and. We started dating, and and uh, I lived in you know in the the, the valley in the, you know in Studio City, mm-hmm. north of Hollywood. For people who don't know where that is, and Kim lived in Malibu, mm-hmm. right on the beach. So I would drive down, you know, the forty-five minute drive or whatever heck it is, uh, while we're dating, I'd drive down to her house, and whenever I go, I'd, I'm wearing the same gear. So I'd wear white sneakers, jeans, black t-shirt, and she didn't say anything about it. But, you know, as you hints of it, you know, she'd have some, you know, funky bohemian thing that she was wearing and, you know, she, you know, the true religion thing and she'd have this other fashion company. It was fashion and design and fashion and this dress and fashion. And I didn't catch any of it. I think she was throwing hints at me. I didn't catch any of it. <laughs> and uh, after about two, two months of that, uh, I went down there and she goes, okay, have a seat. <laughs> uh, the black t-shirt jeans and the white sneakers have to go. 
<laughs> and I know you don't know how to do that. So you have to trust me and let me do it. Mm-hmm. So from then on, she, uh, she's in charge of my wardrobe. Um, well, I, I get to say no on occasion, but mostly I just have to nod and go, uh, whatever you say. What well, <laughs> you meet the maven of fashion. Uh, she helps dress you. It still stays yeah. within your personality because every time I see you, you're clean. And so at least we didn't have you working um, with cowboy boots and a cowboy hat. You know, she stayed within your style. So I think, I think you're winning. <laughs> I think so. I think so. I, I, uh, I trust that she, she kind of knows what she's doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, she's had a couple of these hugely successful design companies. I'm like, well, maybe she knows a little better than I do about dressing. Right, and, right. Know, and I'll, 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 I'll keep that I know more about acting and writing and flying than she does. That's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah. You guys are staying in your own zones, and you play together and cross-reference, and that's how you guys are a great power couple. And, you know, Kim has been amazing, such a big supporter of Phoenix Fashion Week, all of our emerging designers, and um, some of that we all really, really appreciate. And, you know, we talked about your rewire, and we know that people have multiple rewires in life. And in reading your right. bio... Um, you were in fourth grade and also, uh, as a, I mean, helicopter fighter pilot, you know, um, these, these are, yeah. these are major. Take me back to, you know, your rewire moment where you said, okay, no more of this. And now it's going to be that. Tell us back to that, that time in your, in your life, Marlon. So, uh, uh, it's interesting. It's interesting, uh, in, in interesting to me, I guess that maybe that's what makes it interesting to other people. In that, uh, I never thought anything about it until later on in life, and I never told anybody this, that fourth grade story. Now I tell it, and it's, it's, it's inspirational to people. It turns out, so I, you know, so I tell people that's one part of it. The other part was, I found when I did start to tell it, I didn't start telling it until I was in my late twenties. Uh, I'd start to, I'd, I'd, I'd get a lump in my throat, mm. and I'd start, to, I'd start to cry, and I was like why is that? What is that? Mm-hmm. Right? I, mean, I hadn't thought about it. Uh, why that was. So then I had to go through and figure out what that was. Uh, and then retell my, uh, revisit exactly what the story was. And then, it, it, I, so I had a vivid memory of it. And now I have this vivid memory of it and I can, I can tell it clearly. So when I was uh, a kid, um, in uh, grew up in uh, rural South Carolina, mm-hmm. real real small nowhere town. <clears throat> Excuse me, and went to a small uh, you know small school. But this was in the uh, late sixties, early seventies. For you know, for people who don't know and haven't you know don't know my bio from reading or somewhere, I, I turned sixty this year. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I was born in 62, and around, you know, 68 or so, I was in the, you know, went into the first grade. And um, when I went to school, schools were still, schools in the South were still segregated. Mm-hmm. So I went to an all-black school from zero to, uh, from you know, kindergarten to, um, to fourth grade, mm-hmm. uh, up until fourth grade. Uh, so when fourth grade started, they took all the black kids who were, you know, just still in elementary school, and we had to go to the surrounding elementary school, which mm-hmm. of, of which there were there were three. And the school that I went to uh, was a two-story uh, elementary school, and th- they had not had obviously had not taught black kids before. But the white kids who were there, they they you know they come up through the ranks from the first to the third, and, and then the fourth grade. Yep. So 
I get into this home class. Uh, my last name's Young, so uh, on the well, alphabetically, I'm one of the last people in, in a class to be seated. If that if you're seated in alphabetical order, which most classes did, except my homeroom class, which was this woman, this teacher, this 22 year old hippie teacher named Audrey Long. And the only reason I remember her is because I'll never forget her best friend, who was also a teacher, who was in a class next door. So we um, we didn't sit in alphabetical order in her class. We're just she just sat us randomly, and it was a really cool homeroom class. And when the bell rang, we went to our first class, through the door, into the next class, and her friend Sue Sykes taught that class. And in her class, it was, one, sat in alphabetical order. Two, there were six rows of kids, three white, three black rows, and the white kids sat closest to her desk. Mm-hmm. Black, black kids sat the farthest away from her, and I was the last kid on that in that row last name beginning with a Y. Mm-hmm. So we get into her class, welcomes us to the school. Well, she says the principal welcomes us to the school. She wasn't really happy about it. And uh, I remember she had this blonde beehive-ish hairdo and, she's, and, and the class was social studies. So the book was on her desk. She told them to want to take out their books and open the page, whatever it was. Like, the page, I can't remember, but she says open the page seven or whatever it was. And, and Marlon, since you're the last one, you get to read first out loud. Mm-hmm. And we had never, I'd never read out loud before. We didn't mm. do that. Yeah, yeah. All black school. So now all eyes are on me. All the black kids are like, don't embarrass us. All the white <laughs> kids are like, wait till you screw up kind of thing, you know? Sure. So I, so I started reading this paragraph and I mispronounced a word. And she stopped me and said, go back and read that again. So I go back and I read it again. And I mispronounced it again. And she started laughing. Oh. And. I know, right? And all the white kids started laughing. This is 1972, right? Yeah, yeah. All the white kids started laughing. I grabbed my book, I had a book sack, and I, I, I ran down to the principal's office, and I refused to go back to class um, and until they called my father, who was a factory worker. Mm-hmm. So I called him. He gets in a truck, comes to the school. Uh, I'm sitting in the principal's office, walks past me, talks to the principal, and this, this teacher comes back out, grabs me, so let's get the truck, and we're going home. And... Uh, we're driving home, and he says, uh, you know what I had nothing to do with you, right? There, there, there are people who are always going to try to make you feel bad so they can feel good. Yes. Right? So that was you know, some, uh, a good lesson in its simplicity. Um, but compounded with that, uh, the backstory before I tell you the, the, the upside of that, is uh, I wanted to be an actress since I was six. Yeah. Because my parents never got along. When I, I can't remember them getting along the 20 years they were together when I was born. I'm the youngest of four. Mm-hmm. And uh, it seemed like they would fight most viciously after church on Sunday. Wow. Seemed that way. So on a local TV station in, uh, out of Savannah, Georgia, it seemed like every Sunday there was a movie on about the time we got out of church in the afternoon. So when they'd start to fight, my siblings would disappear, you know, over to somebody's house or in the woods to play or whatever. I escaped into television. Mm-hmm. So whenever they would fight, I would just, I'd, I'd, I'd be glued to the TV. And it seemed like every Sunday there was a Jerry Lewis movie on. So I decided I wanted to do what Jerry Lewis did. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so I became this huge Jerry Lewis fan and Jerry fishing out, Jerry Lewis fishing out over the years, seen all of his movies multiple times, all that stuff. So I wanted to do what he did. So I wanted to be an actor since I was six. I did plays and stuff in school. That's how I got started. Um, but I knew I wanted to do that. And then I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to get out and go to where they make these 
movies and these TV shows, which is Hollywood. Yeah. So my only connection to Hollywood was was a TV, and um, then there was a guy who sold clothes to in the black neighborhood. He worked over white fan. His name was Mr. Robinson, and that's when my dad got all of his suits. And my mm. mom got some of her dresses. From. Mm. So so he would come around every Saturday. My so my dad would get a suit from him, older white guy, and uh, he couldn't pay for it all. This was on like layaway. So every Saturday you. My dad would, or mom would leave some money on a dresser, and you get the money, and you take it out to Mr. Robinson. And whoever took the money out to him, he had a he had a basket of candy for the kids. Yep. So you give him this money, and you hold this basket, and you know you could pick out whatever candy you wanted. So I have got to do that because I was the youngest. And in that van was uh, a set of World Book Encyclopedia mm. that I would see every time I went out to his van, and it, uh, that caught my eye because. That was my connection to Hollywood because it appeared on every game show as a prize. That's true. Like it was on prizes, right? It was yeah. on, uh, Truth or Consequences or Let's Make a Deal. It was like, oh, the World Book Encyclopedia or Encyclopedia Britannica. So I see that and I was like, some, in my kid's mind, that was some connection to Hollywood. But I also knew what encyclopedias were. I mean, there's wealth of knowledge that we could never afford because mm-hmm. we were kind of poor. So cut to, we're back to, we're driving home. And this mispronunciation thing happened, thing happened with me in class. And my yep. dad says this to me. And I said, can we afford the World Book Encyclopedia? Mm-hmm. And he said, we can today. <laughs> so that Saturday, he bought the World Book Encyclopedia from Mr. Robinson for me. And I promised myself that that embarrassing thing that happened in fourth grade in that class would never happen again. So I worked, I started working to get rid of the accent, yep. the Southern accent, Yep. and became a voracious reader. So I read the encyclopedia, I got it, and I, you know, you don't have this, I don't know if they have much of this anymore because you get everything online and, you know, Kindle, but it's the, the, the tactile nature of getting a book, you know, and unwrapping the book yeah. and that smell of the fresh pages, right? So I, every book was wrapped, every uh, uh, edition every, you know, was wrapped in cellophane. So I got the encyclopedia and I you know, unwrapped each one, A to Z, just unwrapped each one of them very slowly and smelled it. And I started reading the encyclopedia. So I read it from A to Z twice before I was 12. Whoa. And then I decided to read everything and never mispronounce anything ever again. So I read that twice. I read the Bible a few times, you know, from cover to cover. Uh, read everything I got my hands on and uh, told myself I'd read 2,000 books before I turned 25, and I did. And uh, and that, so, and then I became a tutor to a lot of kids. By the time I got to uh, junior junior high, uh, I was a tutor to particularly a lot of white kids in, who were failing, <laughs> failing yeah. English. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in so that changed, that, that particular rewire moment changed, you know, who I was going to be as a person. I could have gone either way. Right? It could have been either way. I was going to say the same thing. When you, I mean, first of all, uh, your dad uh, to say today we can afford it is monumental. Um, I'm sure that gave you confidence. But at fourth grade, uh, keeping your word to yourself and then going out and yeah. saying, I'm going to read everything. Uh, I don't know what I was doing in fourth grade, but I don't know if I was keeping promises to myself to actually follow through with. Um, so... So that that's categorically unique in itself. And then to go out and continue to do that. Uh, I'm a big reader as well. I feel I'm where I am today because I do read. 
um, is super important to my daughter as well. And we did that uh, morning dictionary where we would, you know, put post-it notes on the different pages and she would, I'd have her, uh, you know, pronounce them correctly and then she would uh, define them and then I would have her put them into a sentence, right? And I know yeah. for a fact that, that that helped a ton. Uh, she didn't go cover to cover um, when she hears this because she loves you. Uh, she's probably going to go back and try to go cover to cover. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Inspire one by one. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, when, when people rewire, Marlon, I said this, that, you know, after they make the decision to rewire, uh, some, some action steps come out of that. What I heard, you know, in this particular rewire um, is that you, you chose to change right? You kept a promise to yourself and you actually gave the solution to someone around you at that point of authority, which was your dad. And so again, I I want people listening that they got to understand that, that once you make the decision, there's some actions that have to happen after that. You got to keep your word to yourself more more than likely because it's a new habit. The the new habit is that you're reading all the time now, right? That's a new habit. And uh, it took 21 days or three weeks or a month or whoever knows but you had to change directions. That is what changes your mind, your, your, your brain, the synapses start to reconnect differently, which is the rewire. So that, that's amazing. And then, and then when you tell the story about Mr. Robinson, which you know, I'd love to find out if his, if his family's around and how many other people uh, he changed their lives with those encyclopedias that he had inside his dress barn, basically. I, I know, right? I, I, that's a, I, I don't know. I, I can't, I, I wouldn't imagine you know, it's in the area that I grew up in, and this happens in a lot of rural areas, maybe a lot of you know, upper-class areas as well, I don't know. But I, for sure in a lot of rural areas, you get you get um, complacent with what's around you. Sure. Right? And particularly in the South, I mean, we're all living, you know, I mean, we're, 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 we're very closely, you know, we're close to the, you know, the antebellum South, right? Mm-hmm. So... So those customs are, you know, are are still very close to people. That's like, you know, you have to go to church, and you know, uh, white folk are in some ways still uh, a little, you know, seemingly uh, a bit superior, mm-hmm. right? Even if you don't really think of them as superior, it's just kind of in your mind that they are. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, so part of that is you don't get to you don't get to tell yourself that you can be better than what you grew up believing. Sure. Right. So there's, there's no, uh, there's no prompt to, to, to do that. So you have to go find that yourself. And that's a hard thing. It, it can be a hard thing or, or you know, it is a hard thing to do it is. when you're not surrounded by you know, a big support system. Right. Correct. And when I, I know, I know this, this, you know, probably still happens because I've heard people say it, but definitely what happened, you know, uh, around when I was a kid, when you start to, when you start to, you know, get rid of the accent. You know, you're pronouncing words correctly. You know, you're to your to your black peers. You're talking white, man. Yeah, right. You're trying to be white. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's detrimental to you know your social uh, uh, circle. Correct. And so now you now you don't fit in there, and you don't fit in with the white kids because you're not you know you, because you're not them. Mm-hmm. And again, this is you know, so early seven, late sixties, early seventies. So that that barrier still existed. That dynamic between well, white kids over there and black kids over there. And if you don't fit here, where do you fit? Sure. It's, and if, and if that, and if that is very uncomfortable, you know, your, 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 I think your, your natural reaction is to make it comfortable. And then, so you just go, okay, well, I'll just, 
I'll just be who everyone else is. And everyone else is not trying to pursue something better. Correct. So you end up falling. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah. You, you end up staying in this void, you know, and then you turn, you know, you turn 65, <laughs> 55, and, right? And then you're having your, you know, your shot after working at this job for 35 years, and you're like, man, I didn't. I wish I'd gone out of here. It's too late now. I've got five kids. I've got a wife. Right. I can't stand. i got a house I don't like. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. You know? Oh, it, hamster wheel and I can't get off. It's a snap of a finger. Yeah. It's a snap of a finger. Yeah. That, that's how quick it goes. And then, you know, in, in going back to your bio, you know, then you, you're this fourth grade wizard that goes in a new direction in life. And then you yeah. fast forward, tons of things are happening between now between that fourth grader and then you going into the U.S. Army to become a helicopter fighter, fighter pilot. And then, right. then you, you may have another adult rewire when you, you know, being in charge of uh, everyone on your helicopter. Uh, tell us what happened at that next rewire. I'm now out of the Army uh, with this, you know, fighter pilot resume and um, I'm uh, decided I'm I'm going to go to Los Angeles and pursue an acting career. I'm 25 and I come out here and I do that. And, and then, and then I don't know anybody out here. I come out here alone. And, uh, I asked some people, what do you, you know, what do you, what do you do? How do you survive? Well, you know, you have to get a day job and, you know, and the day job for the most part means waiting tables or working as a security guard somewhere or that, you know, some mindless thing that'll allow you to take off and go, uh, to auditions or go to acting class or whatever. So the first few months, I ended up getting a job like that, and uh, I, I was actually I was selling I was selling cars, mm. used cars in Beverly Hills, and I'd never done it before, and I hated it. Uh, but uh, after a couple of months, I thought, well, maybe I can get a job flying. Mm. Maybe that'll. I don't know if they'll let me go and do the pack, but you know, I'll I'll do that. I'll do that, and I'll just study at night. So I ended up getting a you know. A, flying job made up a resume and went to a couple of places and you know a bunch of places actually and finally somebody hired me and said yeah you can be a, you can work for us yeah so i ended up, so i ended up flying a you know for the next it ended up being for a while but i ended up getting the stuff flying so uh i get tasked to fly these for a couple of different companies this particular company the last company i'm flying these executives from these oil executives mm -hmm. uh, off the coast to um, of here to I'm flying them up to Santa Barbara, mm -hmm. and then there are there are four oil derricks off the coast of Santa Barbara, uh, about a mile or so off the coast. So mm -hmm. they're going out to inspect those oil derricks. We're going to do we're going to inspect all four of them. It's going to take about forty minutes or so on each of them. We're flying out. Um, it, we land in Santa Barbara to refuel before that. It starts, they're there for like an hour. Um, the, uh, what's called the marine layer, it's a, it's a low layer of clouds. They'll uh, start to come in in the next hour. A couple of hours is going to be coming in from the ocean. And so you, you'll see it at, at night. It's about from the ocean level to about, up to about two, 300 feet. It's just foggy cloud. And it starts to roll in at this particular time of year, and uh, and you can see it coming in, and it gets on the beach, and then it's real foggy. But if you get above this, it's you know it's, it's like when you're in a plane and you fly above the clouds, it's all sunshine. Sure. 
but in that cloud layer from the, you know, from the ground up to 300 feet is, you know, it's, you can't see your hand around your face kind of thing. Yeah. So I tell them while we're refueling and they're chatting it up, I said, listen, we got X amount of time because this Marine layer is coming in and, uh, I won't be able to see the landing pad at these oil derricks. So we need to get out of here and go do that. Yep. Reluctantly, they get in the helicopter. We fly out to the first oil derrick, we land. And I said, um, you've got about 15 minutes on each of these derricks. If we want to do all four of them, we, you only got about 15 minutes on each of them. So they're like, oh, sure, we'll be back in 15 minutes. So I wait in the waiting room there, and they take off and go and do their inspection. And they're gone 30, 45 minutes. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And while they're gone, that marine layer comes in. And now we're in fog an hour off, the, you know, a mile off the coast and, you know, whatever. So they come back and, okay, we're ready to go to the next oil derrick and take a look. And I said, I can't, we can't see the other oil derrick. Wow. You know, I mean, the best thing I can do is take off from this thing, climb up above this cloud and fly back to, you know, land. Sure. And then, you know, fly back to Los Angeles because they had a plane to catch. Sure. They fought. So I tell them that and they're not happy about it at all because to them, I'm just a limo driver. It happens to be a helicopter, but you may as well be a limo driver. Right? Correct. Correct. Ooh. And take us where we want to go, and you know, we, or we'll talk, or we'll call your boss, and he'll fire you, kind of thing. <laughs> uh, so, I so under the pressure, I don't want to lose my job. Uh, I said, oh, okay, listen, we'll take off. I'll see if I can see the next oil derrick, and if I can, we'll land there. But then that's it. Yeah. Right? Okay, fine. Put him in the helicopter, shut the door, and land. You know, take off from the, this pad, and I start going towards the next. Oil derrick. After I leave this one, I can't see the one that I just left, and I can't see the one that I'm going to. Right. Now, I've got pontoons, so if anything happens, I can land in the water. Maybe. <laughs> but the, the pontoons aren't inflated. You have to inflate them if you think you're going to land in the water. I can't see the water. Right. I just have my finger on the trigger of the pontoon in case, you know, the, something happens and i got to land in the water. Anyway, I'm flying towards this other oil derrick, can't see it, and I decide to climb out of this clouds. I'm going to climb out of this cloud to the top and maybe if I get on top of these clouds, I can see the flag that's on this landing pad and I'll get to that thing. And so I start this climb out of this fog and a mile into the, you know, off the coast over the Pacific Ocean and uh, and I'm looking up to find a hole, you know, to climb up through the clouds. Yep. As I'm looking up, uh, I want to go through the machinations about how helicopter works, but, but my my hand that controls the up upward climb of the stick starts to creep forward as I'm looking up through the cloud. Sure. And which means the helicopter is going into a dive. Oh. I don't know what's going into a dive because once you get into clouds, you get disoriented, right? Yeah. I don't, and you don't know you're disoriented. So I don't think I'm disoriented. I'm pretty sure I'm going to climb coming out of these clouds. But the helicopter starts to shake, and when it starts to shake, if, you, if you've been flying very slow, when it starts to shake, that means you're starting to speed up. Uh-huh. I shouldn't be speeding up, I'm thinking. Right. So all this happens within a millisecond. So I'm thinking, you're shaking. I shouldn't be speeding up. Why am I speeding up? I'm probably in a dive. Oh. I look at the, the, the altimeter, and I'm in a dive, uh, and I start to pull back on the controls to, to, to level this thing out. And I can't do that really fast because if I do it, it'll jerk the helicopter. It'll scare them. And then they'll freak out and I can't have that. So I, so very slow, right? So again, this all happens in a millisecond or a couple of seconds. I start to pull up 
to level this helicopter out, and I do. I level it out, right? So that I'm flying level, and as soon as I level out, water splashes on my windshield. Wow. I'm less than five feet above the ocean. And I turn white. The blood drains into my, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I start to shake. They, none, none of this is seen by the guys behind me. The guys, they're still talking about They're still talking you know, about the, uh, the oil. <laughs> yeah, they don't care. Yeah. But uh, it was in that moment. Uh, so, uh, so I climb out of that. So I, okay, I, I calm down. I climb out of that. I get on top of the clouds and I see Santa Barbara and I tell them. At, at that moment, I decided I need to stop flying. Got it. Right? Boom. I got to stop flying. This, is, this isn't my thing. Yep. I need to put my full attention into my, why I came out to Los Angeles, and this isn't it. Love doing it. Yep. Great job. Yep. You know, uh, great ego boost, but this isn't it. So anything out of my mouth from now on uh, is going to be dismissing flying yep. and concentrating on acting. So with that relief in that moment, I didn't care if I got fired from this job. Yep. So I turned back around to the guys and I said, uh, we're done. We're flying back to Los Angeles, and I don't care if you miss your flight. <laughs> we're back to Los Angeles. They're mad. I put the helicopter to, to bed and land it, and I tell my boss, I, I can't fly anymore. Yeah. And uh, that was my second rewire, is just to concentrate, give up this lucrative thing that has nothing to do with my, what my dream is, right. and totally concentrate on my dream, put all of my energy into my dream, and that's what I did. Well, this is amazing because uh, we talk to people all the time about chasing their dream, right? And keeping the bills paid, keeping the lights on, et cetera. So when you chose, again, just like you did in fourth grade, um, to say, okay, no more of this and now that, the first thing you did was already happening within the helicopter. You decided to chase the dream. That was step one, just to decide. Yeah? Right, right. That's right. To chase the dream. When you decide to chase a dream, which probably happened after you left um, the helicopter facility, what did you do second? Because you're already taking some acting classes. You're already doing acting. What did you do second step after deciding to chase the dream 24-7? What was next? That's funny. Because <laughs> the, first, the first thing is, is you say to yourself, what now? Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Uh, because for your, to, to pay the bills and keep the lights on. You're yep. not a working actor Yep. yet. And you've got to pay for acting classes. Yep. And you, and these plays that you're doing, I, I had been doing some plays. They're not paying anything. You're paying 25, 30 bucks a week. Yep. Performance in these plays. So it was, uh, well, let's, let's relax. Let's do that first. Let's just relax. Yep. Let's quit flying yep. and don't worry about it uh-huh. and just relax. Okay. So, um, I, now I can't afford an apartment. Yep. I'm okay with that. Yep. Uh, I find a place to store my stuff. Mm-hmm. I didn't have that much stuff. Yep. And, uh, I slept in my car. Got it. Got it. And I was totally fine with that. Got it. Right. I mean, okay, you're homeless. It means I didn't have a home, but I guess I did. My car was my home. Mm -hmm. I was again fine with that. And then it was like, okay, let's find a let's find a proper 
nothing job, mm-hmm. you know. So with that, eliminating flying, eliminating that altogether, yep. and concentrating on anything just to support this freedom to do this acting, uh, creating this, that, you know, my work to concentrate on that craft, I eventually got a job working in security. Mm-hmm. And that allowed me all the freedom I need. Got it. I don't need much. I'm, a, I'm, not, I'm not a materialistic person. So uh, a place to lay my head on sounds cliche, but it's the truth. It's, yep. And this comes from military. Once it comes from being not having a lot, right, and yep. not needing a lot, not wanting a lot. Yep. Uh, and the military where you, you, you can't be burdened with a lot because at, at any point you may have to go off and, you know, fight somebody. Yep. Some far-reaching place where you know, so you don't have a lot of stuff to take with you. So I, I didn't try. I traveled very light, so uh, I didn't have a lot of stuff in my car. So I and to get a place, I need a bigger place. So I found a place that was, you know, the rent was nothing. You know, it was a decent area, yep. and uh, and I did that job for a, a a long time until acting took over. Yep. So I started getting these these roles, and you know. And, uh, and then they paid, you know, reasonably well. And then I'm like, okay, I guess I don't need to, I don't need to do this other job. <laughs> I don't need this other job anymore. Right. But that took, you know, it took, it took years. It, yeah, it, it took, took years. years. It, it, it yeah, took one years. is it takes years, right? And two is it you have to stick with it. Yeah. I know that's a, that's a thing that people say, and you know, when you're younger and you know you're not sure what that means, you don't know what it means. And I will tell you, and you know, you, you people listening, that is exactly what it means yep. is you have to stick with it. You have to decide that that's what you're going to do and decide that nothing is going to, t- to deter you from this specific thing that you want to do. And anything you're doing has to fuel that. Mm-hmm. Right? So I don't want to be in charge of security. Yep. Security is funding my acting ambition. I don't want to eventually be, have my own security company and then act on the side. No, right. I'm, here to do this thing. I'm here to be an actor yep. and work as an actor. Or am I living as an actor? And this thing is just allowing me to to exist until I achieve that dream and that feeling. You know, right? It's this whole self fulfilling prophecy, right? And it becomes this engine. I'm acting yep. to fuel my dream, and that's paying me. So I guess to allow me to continue to do it, which is all. Which is all it is. I love it. It's all in dream is. It's like once you once you're doing the dream, if that means you become a musician, uh, singer, graphic artist. It's like your your dream is continually fueling itself, and that is the further uh, uh, proliferation of the dream, right? Yep. Well, the picture, the picture. I sell the picture. The picture pays me. I get to keep lights on, so I can paint another picture, so I can sell it. So I can keep, you know, so I can keep the lights on. So, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, again, you don't realize this, but you did a few things, right? When you decide to chase your dream twenty four seven, you then step two, reduce all expenses, and then three, you made space in your life to cover and get the freedom needed um, to really focus on acting. And out of that, yeah. you had these habits. <laughs> Again, you might not realize this, but um, you just said you have to stick with it, whatever it is, your dream, you're chasing. Uh, two, you decided this is what you're going to do. And then three, the formula was you made sure everything you did 
focus down that dream to fulfill. So some people, it takes a long time to figure out what their dream is. Some people figure out really early right. in life. But the thing that you right. have to go back to your fourth grade um, uh, Marlon Young was, is that you clearly make these decisions and you go in a new direction. And be, be, you know, if you said, I got to live in a certain way and always have the best of best, but also try to uh, chase acting classes with no real revenue, that's just not going to happen, right? It's not going to happen. Right. That's exactly right. right. So from, the, from those habits, you know, of sticking with it and, and deciding to go after your dream and everything was going towards a dream every day, give me one huge accomplishment that you feel that happened in that transformation of these habits. What's one thing you can really attest to these key habits? Do something for, do something every day that has to do with your dream. Mm -hmm. Every day. Well, I, I don't care how big or small it is. Yeah. Uh, I didn't always have time to do, to do a play. Sure. Right. But, uh, and, and sometimes I didn't have time to go to, to acting class yep. because, you know, security job. And, you know, sometimes you have to do other you know, things because, you know, okay, this guy isn't going to come to work today or we've got this, you know, this big project. We need more security people on it and you don't have time to take time off. So you don't necessarily have time to do whatever. Right. But when I got a lunch break, I had a play with me or I had an acting coach book with me yep. or I had a history of acting book with me or I had notes from class with me and I'd, I'd spend my hour eating lunch and going over those notes yep. every day, every day, weekends included. So every, so I got that routine as I did something for my career every day or, you know, what became a career. Um, so interchanging these words, I did something towards my dream every day. Um, That's how you make it a reality for yourself. In my, in my, in my opinion, obviously it's just Marlon Young says so. Right. Right. But for me, it was every day. And it was the same with the fourth grade thing. Every day I, I, I read some of the encyclopedia every day. I read a bit of the Bible every day. I read, you know, uh, I read the dictionary a couple of times, yep. you know, uh, every word in the dictionary uh, and its definition. I did that every day. You know, and I love when, it. when I was flying, it was the same. It was like, I, you know, even while I was in flight school, it's like, I, 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 this is what I'm doing right now. Right. Imagine this. Excel at this thing. Imagine this. If everyone figured out what they wanted to do, whether it be become a good chef, um, uh, run a, a fast marathon, um, raise your kids a certain way, whatever. If they did a little bit of it every day, it's not really a heavy yeah. lift. If you do a little bit of every day. And I think that's what the takeaway, right. that's what the takeaway is, you know? And exactly. Yeah. And uh, I can do a little bit yeah. every day um, for sure. So, I, and, and if it's, and if it's, if it is towards what, what you dream that you want to be, or that you think that you can be, who else is in charge of that? Right. You. There's nothing, there's, there's no more invest. There's no more, there's nobody more invested in you than you. Yep. Nobody. Yep. Right? Uh, doesn't matter what, you know, you hear these basketball players say, well, you know, the greatest asset in my life was my coach in high school. No, it wasn't. It was you. He, was, he gave you the tools, but you had to go out and practice. That's correct. Every day. So that I, so, so that I find, I, and, I, you know, I, and I give this to my, my stepson, same thing. I give definitely, obviously, and, and I have been and still continue to give it to my son. 
uh, who's a you know success in his in his own right. He's at twenty, he's in college, but he's a success in his own right. Yes, in the sense that he he um, I imparted exactly what we we're just talking about to him, and I, I I'd done that to him since before he could talk. I started talking to him before he could talk because I don't think uh, it, maybe this is a little crazy, but I don't think there is such thing as baby talk. I don't know who came up with that concept. <laughs> You know, because it's not another language. It's not a language at all. You know, it's a uh, it's a dumbing down of the language that the kid is going to learn. And then they're going to have to, once they become, you know, aware of the English language, their brain is going to have to flush the Google Gaga stuff and make room for these words, these words that they're going to use for the rest of their lives. So I thought, uh, and, and fortunately, my ex-wife thought the same thing. Why not start giving them? the words that they're going to use for the rest of their lives now. Yep. And even if they don't understand, if he doesn't understand them, he'll understand context because he'll understand inflection. Right. Yeah. So he did. So he became this, you know, did that to him and, you know, he started, decided he had an interest in building things. Uh, so he got a Lego set, another Lego set and sent him to Lego college. And, then he decided he wanted to be a structural engineer. He's building stuff and he's creating stuff online. And, and, he, and he decided, uh, I want to get into, I'm going to get into this specific college. I'm going to apply for these five, but this is the college that I want to get, I'm going to get into. Uh, like, okay. And that's the college he's attending right now. Good for him. Good for him. Yeah. Note to self, which is my producer, Robin, no more baby talk for me. Okay. 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 <laughs> <There it> is. <laughs> Unless, you know, <laughs> yeah. unless it's requested as a specific, specific scenario. <laughs> yeah. And I think you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Marlon, you won't believe it. We are at the, uh, the Garment District section where we're going to take a brief pause, thank our sponsors, and come right back. Are you ready for the Garment District? Rapid-fire questions. We're going to pick your head here. Yep. Okay, hang Absolutely. on one second. We'll be right back. The Custom Shop. As you know, before my rewire, I launched and ran my own fitness apparel brand, now today I consult, invest in, and private label design and manufacture custom apparel for brands across the nation. Does your brand need unique, high quality lifestyle apparel like t-shirts, hats, leggings, and more with your branded logo or slogan? Or do you need real-time consultation on your brand? Reach out to me for more information and custom apparel quotes. Email info at phoenixfashionweek.com. And we're back. This is Brian Hill, Fashion Rewired. I'm on with my buddy, Marlon Young, actor and writer, uh, telling us amazing stories from flying above clouds and into water and his son going to his favorite college and all kinds of things in between. So, Marlon, how's it going so far, Fashion Rewired? You're still here. Great. <laughs> so, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> like you, you, come back to, uh, you come back to dead noise and you're calling my name. It's like, oh, yeah, what's Robin always worries uh, no. about that. We're like, we come back from from the commercial and the person's gone, but you're still here. <laughs> I'm gonna give you. <laughs> I'm gonna give you. Uh, you can only answer underrated or overrated in this rapid fire okay. garment issue. Okay, Hollywood okay. underrated or overrated? Overrated. Oh man, formal education underrated or overrated? Overrated. People's opinion underrated or overrated? Way overrated. Way overrated. He said two words, yeah. Robin. Money. Sorry. Underrated <laughs> or overrated? Overrated. Networking. Underrated or overrated? 
Overrated. Phone conversations, underrated or overrated? Way underrated. Way under. Okay, cool. That's why you and I get along so much on the phone. So for, <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. So for actors uh, listening today, right? I'd say that actors are either going after a wholesale play, meaning you are pitching yourself and your ideas to big studios. Okay, so the 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 network effect, big, 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 or you are pitching yourself in this in a commercial, trying to go after the end user. Tell me which one works the best for Marlon Young's brand, going after pitching big studios and your ideas or killing in the commercials and getting the end user to be motivated to do something? Uh, pitching to studios. Studios, wholesale. Yeah, because it's a group of people who have, who, it's a group of people who have not seen me. So they've not seen me in a room tell them the story. And uh, I think, I have become a pretty good storyteller. Yes. Right. Uh, and, um, and, 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 and I'm going to sell them something that hasn't been presented to them before. Mm-hmm. They may think it has been, but it hasn't been because yep. Marlon has never been in this room. Yep. I love that. I love uh, that. That's, yeah, that's my, that's my favorite thing. You, you know? We didn't talk about this, but you know, when you're talking about uh, Marlon Young being inspired by people, I don't know if you're a social media guy or not, or if you're, you, I'm sure you still read books, et cetera, but is, is social media something that you are tapping into on a daily basis? I'm not. I'm not. I, um, I don't see, I don't see the value in it for me. For the time. For, for, yeah, for yeah, for it's because it's a. To, I think to to have it work for you is, you have to spend some time on it. And I, I'm not. Um, I mean, I'm just going to sound like the old guy here, right? <laughs> I don't. I don't know what. Uh, unless you're unless you decided that you're going to be a quote unquote influencer, whatever that means. I, I'm not sure what that means, but whatever that means. Sure. Right. Sure. And if if you're that, then then there's a lot of time spent on that. Right. right, right. And I, I think the people who have succeeded in it are, you know, are, are dedicated to spending a lot of time to, on it. Uh, so the, so for the people like me, the lay, the lay people, the, uh, I don't see the, I don't see the purpose of saying, Hey, this is my dog. This new thing I knitted for my dog. Yeah. How many of you like that? Well, if, oh, you, 5, if you're not doing social media, how is the Marlon Young brand successful then? What's your go-to resource? Not social media. How is Marlon valuable to the studios, to the commercials, to the playwrights? I, 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 make, I make them meet me in person. Okay. So we're, I, when I, once we meet, once we get in, I get into contact with someone. And, you know, you start to texting or emailing thing. I say, okay, let's, in the beginning, let's meet for lunch. Yep. Let's meet for a drink. Because uh, that, and this, this is the phone conversation uh, uh, question that you alluded to a little bit earlier. Uh, the art of conversationalism is, has been lost sure. since, the, since the, you know, the, 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 the propagation of, social media nobody gets on the phone and talks nobody meets him nobody generally right i'm using hyperbole to make a point but people don't sit and converse and converse about things life 
you know, uh, freedom, uh, your your thought, religion, your, your, the idea of the universe, and where where we're gonna go as people, and what makes us people, and what are those people doing over there? We've lost that. Yep. Right. Uh, we've lost the tactile nature of opening a book and sharing that with someone else. I read this yesterday. You got to read this and sit down next to me, and I'll show you the page. Those are those days aren't they're gone. So the art of conversation has kind of been lost, you wow. know. But I I think the, the the natural human connection is conversation. Socrates did that so before. Socrates never wrote anything down. He just you know meet up with a bunch of people who wanted to hear what he had to say. And he grabbed this group of people, 15, 20 people, and they just listened to him. He walked. He said, I'm going to walk, you know, 15, 20 miles to the next town. And uh, if you want to walk with me and I'll and listen to what I have to say, I think I've got some pretty important stuff to say because I'm older, older than you guys. So he had this group of people, these groupies that would just go with him and, and, and listen to what he had to say. And then, he, you know, and then they'd share their own experiences. We've lost that. Right. You, you've just talked about a social media phrase, which I'm going to give you a little tip. IRL is what you're talking about in real life. So there you go. In real life, IRL. So when you talk to people and it's like, how do you do it? What, what's the secret to your success? Success, Marlon, like IRL in real life. And then that will speak okay. to all the young people. So um, high five me virtually when you get love after that phrase. I will. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll do that. So, man, Marlon. I'll try, I'll try, first, I'll try to remember it. And then I'll <laughs> I'm, I'm going to text it to you. I'm going to text it to you. So, Wait, I'm please. taking you back to your fourth grade, uh, Marlon Young, right? And sure. I want to find out uh, what you would tell Marlon, why it was important to rewire. What's the advice you would give someone listening today to why rewire? Uh, because... You, you rewire, and rewiring is mine happened in so much of an instance, right? But uh, the rewiring should happen at whatever young point, and it should happen at a young point, where you sit with yourself and say, am I happy growing in the space that I'm in right now? Mm -hmm. Am I Am I happy growing with this group of friends in this place where I live at this particular job with these adults around me? Am I happy growing here or do I want more? Whatever more means, more doesn't necessarily mean, you know, you want to be a billionaire. Yeah. It just means I don't want to work at, I don't want to be a stock boy at the, you know, at the, this fast food place anymore. Yep. Right. So are you happy growing where you are now? And if you're not, and you have to sit with yourself with that, and that takes a, you know, just sit with yourself in silence by yourself. Yep. Right. Because that's a, that's a, that's a, that, I mean, I guess that's what, uh, that's what meditation essentially is, right? Just sit with yourself in your own thoughts and, uh, and think that, think about that. And if you're not change, the first is think about it. That's the, that's the first step, right? Is to say to yourself, okay, am I happy in this? And then make a decision. And if the decision is, no, okay, what do I do next? What do I want to do next? And if you don't know the answer to that, then start looking around, around either around you, what's, what's different than you, get in your car, drive to the next city, and maybe I want to do that over there, or maybe I want to do that, or go to the internet, or get on, you know, watch television, who's doing what, the guy's a cop, I've never thought about being a cop, 
I don't know. I said to my son, I don't know as your friend. I said, you can embrace those words. I don't know. Because once you know that you don't know, your next step is to go find it out. Right. Right. Right? Yeah. So I don't know what I want to do. I know I don't want to do this, but I don't know what I want to do next. Great. There are 8 billion other things you can do. Thank goodness. And, and none of, yeah, right. And none of it's going to kill you. Right. None of it's going to kill you. It's not going to, you're not going to bleed by looking on the internet at different jobs. It's not going to hurt your brain, <laughs> you know? And, 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 and look at how to change what you can do to, to change your life. I love and that. And usually that doesn't take a big change. Right. No, I, I love that reason to rewire, you know? Um, you know I'm going to have you back on the podcast because, believe it or not, we got to the end and we're still cranking. Oh, man. Wow, this is fantastic. I know. Time flies. As always. <laughs> As always on Fast Rewired, you can upload your free Marlon Young blueprint on how to rewire. You can follow his exact one, two, three action steps or simply be inspired by what Marlon's done in his life. Simply go to us on Instagram at Fashion Rewired and see me a direct message and you'll get Marlon Young's blueprint. Marlon, thank you today for an amazing story, stories, and um, I hope you enjoyed it. I had a blast. You are welcome. And it was a pleasure being on. You got it. Fashion Rewired and we're out. Thank you for joining us for our weekly 30-minute podcast focused on the business of fashion. Fashion Rewired is all about the successful transformation of your mind, perspective, and daily approach to your fashion brand. Make sure you listen next week for the Fashion Rewired podcast with Brian Hill.